you know, John Maxwell is really trendy, Lloyd Ziegler. Uh, there's a lot of people that are doing leadership. There's 21 ir- um, indispensable qualities of a leader. That's uh, John Maxwell's kind of claim to fame. And there's always going to be different uh, styles of leadership. There's uh, Mike Murdoch's, the leadership style of Jesus. He takes every leadership move that Jesus made in the New Testament and made it a leadership point. And so it's like over like 150 points. And uh, every person is going to come to you with different angles. You yourself are going to learn what works for you. But uh, I want you to get the number one uh, way to success in ministry, the number one way to success in ministry. Write this down. Listening to what God says and doing it. That is the number one trait, the number one quality of every leader that has ever been successful in ministry. No matter what book you look at, what character in the Bible, no matter what day and age they lived in, the number one quality that made every leader in Christianity and in the Old Testament Judaism successful is that they listened to God, they knew how to hear from God, they listened to his word, and then they did it. They obeyed God. So to listen to God and to obey his word is the number one key to success in the ministry. Now, for me, when I first got saved, the book that really touched my heart was Proverbs. And so Proverbs really uh, helped me become a Christian and really discipled me. Solomon discipled me by the power of the Holy Spirit because everything he dealt with just seemed to be like so real in my life. You know, it wasn't like these uh, Chinese Proverbs that you get, your fortune cookies, and if you want to be funny, you say in the bathroom. So it's like good fortune will follow you everywhere you go in the bathroom. Okay, so it wasn't like these weird fortunes, you know, like you're getting fortune cookies. No, and I would read Proverbs. It would be like, man, you know, this is talking about my friends, or this is talking about me, or this is talking about what I see on TV. Like the Proverbs became so real to me. And if you just look at the beginning of Proverbs, and I always used to ask people to read it, not above the book of John, but I would ask them to read it as much as the book of John. So when a person becomes a Christian, I would always say, read a psalm a day, a proverb a day, and read a chapter in John a day because the Psalms gives the heart for worship. Proverbs just teaches you the wisdom of what to do in Christianity, and John teaches them, or a gospel teaches them about Jesus. And I would always have them read this, and it would be uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for obtaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for inquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So right there, you just can't read that and not be the same. You know, you have to change after you read this. Because the moment you read it, it says to you that if you want to become wise, you have to start learning how to be wise. And then it says no matter where you are, young or old, wise or foolish, you're going to add to your wisdom starting right now by reading this. So I would always ask the person, do you want to be a fool or do you want to be a wise person, a wise man? 
And do you want to be successful or do you want to be a loser, you know? What do you want to be in life? Well, Proverbs says if you want to be successful, if you want to be a winner, then you need to get into this book and do what it says. And then it starts off right here. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you truly want to know God, you have to fear him and know how great and immense his power is. And then you'll begin to have knowledge. So if you don't understand God and that he's bigger than you and that he created this whole world, you're not going to understand how this world works. You're not going to understand the laws of sowing and reaping. You're not going to understand the law of your words and that what you speak with your words comes back to you. You're not going to understand that uh, the principles of uh, generosity are going to make you rich in this life. You're not going to understand any of those leadership principles and, and, and those wisdom principles because you don't fear God. Fearing God, understanding that God is in control is the foundation of everything because God will not be mocked. Whatever a man uh, sows, is that what he'll reap? And so today, I just want to encourage every one of you to have a hunger for leadership, to develop leadership. So this may not mean that you go out and buy every leadership book. That's, that's between you and the Lord. I believe Jesus gave us a leadership book. So I believe if you just read Proverbs and study under good pastors and ministries, you're going to have what you need. But I, I just implore you. I command you in Jesus' name to take leadership seriously. Leadership is not just standing up on Sunday giving a sermon. Leadership is not just telling other people what to do. Leaders lead in such a way that people follow. So when you are a leader, people need to follow you. And it's not just what you say. It's how you live and how you operate. And so each one of you are going to be judged as leaders before God. Did you know that? That the leaders here and the, the shepherds here, you're going to be judged before God. The good shepherd is going to judge how well you were a good shepherd. The, the ultimate leader, the apostle of our faith, Jesus, is going to judge you on how you led on this earth. And so I just want to give you this some. I mean, I have tons of them. If I uh, get a chance, I'm going to write another book, and it's going to be a series. And I've, I've shared it with the 201 class, you know, 12 months, you know, 12 months or in a year. And I want to do 12 30-day series on different things of the Bible. So one would be like 30 days to be a soul winner, 30 days to the gifts of the Spirit, 30 days in the book of Proverbs. And I would just pick out like my 30 favorite Proverbs. And I've already gone through and and started picking out 30, and I came way over 30. I was like around 45, 50. So, I mean, I just have tons and tons of favorite Proverbs. I've read this book my whole life. Nancy and I do it for for our devotions. But I just thought today I will just pick out 10 that have impacted my life, that I know have impacted others, and that you can put them into practice, and you can be a great leader. Amen? Okay, go with me to Proverbs 10.4. Number one, you need to be diligent in your work. Proverbs 10.4 teaches diligence. Now, you have to understand, before I was saved, I had 30-plus jobs that never lasted more than 30 days. Are you all listening to me? I didn't last a month at any job until I got saved. When I got saved, I began to work and become diligent. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. The thing you have to know about being a leader is you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to come early before everybody else. You're going to have to stay late. You're going to have to be willing to do what nobody else wants to do. If nobody else is willing to pick up people that day for church, you're going to have to be willing to pick up people that day. 
That's why it's so important how you take your accountability in our church discipleship and the accountability of SUM because this is what you have right now as a standard, as a measuring rod to see how well you're going to be when no one holds you accountable. So, for example, I set my own schedule as a pastor. No one asked me how many hours did I pray today. Nobody asked me how much I have gone witnessing. Nobody asked me if I have memorized the word. Nobody asked me that because now I'm responsible to do that. Are you listening to me? Are you following this? You see, you have to be accountable to that now so you develop the lifestyle of that. Because right now I could have slept in today and missed chapel, and who's going to reprimand me? You know, who's going to discipline me? You see, when you become a leader, most of the time, nobody around you is going to be able to correct those types of things. Even with Adolfo, I don't know what Adolfo does during the week. Adolfo could prepare his sermon two seconds before he gets up there and and have been lazy all week. I don't know that. I don't know what the evangelism team does. I just trust it. And I keep you guys accountable to the big things. And I do ask you if you're reading your Bible and praying. But ultimately, leaders are being trusted with responsibility. So you have to be self-motivated. You have to be self-motivated. If you can't motivate yourself now to do the small things of ministry, you will not be given the great things of ministry. The Bible says that if you're not faithful in little, you will not be given much. If you can't call back people now within 24 hours, how are you going to call back people when you have 100 in your ministry? God will give you 100, you'll lose them, and they'll go like sand right through your fingers because you won't know how to delegate, how to be an effective leader, and how to communicate to people. You see, the proverb is teaching us that we have to be diligent in our work and that diligence brings wealth. I was talking to uh, some inner city kids when I was back in New Orleans about getting a job at McDonald's. And I said, if you were faithful at McDonald's, you could become a manager and make around $30,000 a year. Because McDonald's was advertising they wanted managers. So you take the average person that doesn't go to college, they can have a decent life if they would just be diligent to the work of McDonald's. But you have people right now that for the last five years, they haven't gone to college, they've been slacking off doing all these jobs, and they're still just getting a minimum wage. What's the problem with those people? They're lazy. They're not diligent. They're not going to be successful. Well, my friends, don't think if you're lazy, your prayer is going to help you. God is not going to do in your prayer closet what you're not willing to do when you walk out of the the prayer closet. If you're not willing to walk out of your prayer closet and work hard for Jesus, your prayer is not going to make that happen. God is not going to honor your laziness. Why? Because he has a principle. This is his principle. He does not honor laziness. You see, that's why the Bible says you have to fear God to understand him, to have knowledge. You see, if you don't fear God, you think you're just going to be lazy and ask God to pray and bless you. It's like the overweight, obese woman that I knew as we were about ready to eat some chicken wings. She said, Lord, I rebuke the cholesterol. You can't do that. You can't break the law of nature and ask God to expect. You can't do, ask God to break his own laws of nature because of your foolish behavior. If you want to rebuke cholesterol, stop eating the chicken wings. Hello? Oh, I got I to get an amen on that. Hello? Why, why are we trying to be so super spiritual? It's actually silliness. It mocks the Lord. No, you will reap what you sow. If you, if you sow exercise, you will reap a healthy body. If you sow a diet, you will reap a healthy lifestyle. If you sow hard work, the Bible says you will reap wealth. If you work hard in ministry, you will be blessed in ministry. Somebody say work hard. Amen. Let's go to number two, integrity. 
Proverbs 11, verse 3. I shared this before in our uh, lessons that I learned over ministry, but it's still one of my favorite Proverbs. I can't say it enough. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Don't get caught up in the trends of things you see on YouTube right now. You know, there's ministers on YouTube that are doing some things that, that I don't really agree with. I was talking to one of them on the phone, and I know he loves the Lord, but they're doing these things where they're imitating doing drugs and, and getting high on Jesus, and they're all, you know, just kind of doing this thing. Let me tell you something. Those trends will come and go, but Jesus Christ and his gospel will remain. And let me tell you another thing, that people will look so good on the outside, and they will fall apart because they never had it on the inside. Don't be deceived by the glitter and the glam of ministry. I know for a season when I first got saved that I was really enthralled with the televangelist ministry, you know, because they had the money, they had the building, and they could go and change the world. And my heart was pure. I wasn't, I wasn't greedy. I wasn't looking at it the wrong way. I just looked at it like, hey, these guys are awesome. And some of them very much were awesome. But in the midst of me looking at, you know, these people on TV and looking at the bigger ministries, I began to see that they lacked integrity. That they would say things during their fundraising, their time when they would fundraise, that the Bible doesn't say. They would literally say, if you sow $500 into this ministry, God will eliminate all your debt this year. They would make promises that you cannot make according to the word. You can say, God has put it in my heart that God will eliminate debt. But how can you put a time frame on that for every single person? How can you do that? Or how can you say that if you give $1,000 into this ministry, God will prevent you from making any bad decisions for the next year. You won't make one bad decision. And then you look around at the congregation at what they were wearing that, that, that morning, and you say, hey, it already didn't work, okay? It didn't work. Somebody made a bad decision, wore the wrong clothes, okay? But honestly, what you see in the book of Proverbs is that integrity guides people. But duplicity destroys them. And I look at your professors. You know, Angelo Ophelia. And this uh, Spong, this is, this is his name, right, in the morning? You know, you look at them, they may never have wrote books, or they may never have been on, you know, number one bookseller list, New York Times. They may not have uh, Christian uh, uh, ministries that are known all around the world. But I'm telling you what, you would rather be that person on the day of judgment than somebody that was big and well-known but fell and caused other people to fall. I would rather be that person that just had integrity, that preach, play, uh, prayed, and served away all my days for Jesus. Just preach, pray, and serve away. And, and here I was giving all my days to Jesus, and I get up to heaven, and I'm known of God. Then to be known of man and not known of God. You have to understand this, that what you are in secret is who you really are. Who you are when no one is looking is who you are. God is looking for people that have integrity. Leadership is having integrity on the inside. I can give you example after example of how people have tried to test my integrity in the ministry. And just small things, just little things, things that you wouldn't think much about. But those things would wear away at my character. I always give the example of the time I was buying that computer program for, uh, you know, Adobe software. And it was $1,200 new and about $800 used. And all it was was a disk. You know, you're paying $1,000 for a disk. That's it. And somebody saw me on there was a little hacker, and they said, hey, I'm making burned copies for $25. Here it is. 
And I had to make a decision that day. Do I spend $25 for a burned copy, throw it on the computer, nobody will ever know from that point forward. It's not like you ask me right now, hey, did you get those computers from burned software? You know, I mean, just you use it. But something in my heart, the Holy Spirit told me, that you do that, you lose integrity. See, in those small things, that's why you even have to be careful right now with burning music. That's copyrighted. You have to be careful with what you're doing, even in the small things and how you obey the laws of the land and the way you do your taxes and the way that you present yourself before your friends and family and your parents. If you say yes, then your yes needs to be yes. If you say no, your no needs to be no because integrity, who you are on the inside, that's what integrity is, is so important as a leader. There's nothing more disgraceful than when a leader doesn't have integrity. There's nothing more disgraceful. Number three, Proverbs 11:14, guidance. 11:14, for lack of guidance a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. One of the greatest things that you're going to realize in ministry is that you need to take advice. You need to have advisors. I actually take this to the extreme. Sometimes I feel like I don't make a decision without talking to somebody. I'm like, I'm wondering, man, is this to my fault? Like, almost all my decisions run by Brother Anthony, Pastor Grogan, my wife. Sometimes I wonder, am I, am I a weenie? But then I go back to these scriptures, and this is what it says. Your decisions should come through advisors. Even when I make decisions that regard the youth, it's like, okay, what's the youth team saying? What's the crossover team saying? Let's get some advisors. Let's get people to to speak to us and let's hear what they're saying. And obviously the first people you want to receive advice from are those who have been doing it longer than you have been doing it. So you always want to have people around you that have been doing ministry longer than what you've been doing so that you can call them up and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I want to get your advice. When you begin to get to the place where you cannot receive advice, you are going to fail. The Bible says many advisors make victory sure. So if you want to have sure victory, you have to get advice. That's just a principle of leadership. You're not going to know everything about everything. So, for example, right now we have this problem with our van. Our white van is breaking down. It's lasted as long as it could go. And so... What do I do? I talk to David Carrasco. He's in charge of the facilities and the vehicles. We call him, you know, the facility manager. And, and uh, so he's in charge of the facility and all the vehicles. That's his big title. Amen. Nancy is happy about that. And so this is why I ask him. And see, my mind, I think like this. So what I do when I ask somebody advice, as you'll see me do it, is I quickly come up with an A, B, or C choice for them. Because I don't want to waste their time or my time. So I say to David very quickly, after like 30 seconds, okay, David, do we A, not have a second vehicle, only use the blue van? Do we B, fix the white van because we know the type of vehicle it is, and if we spend $800 on this vehicle, we at least know what it is? Or do we C, try to buy a vehicle that we don't know but is newer and take a risk on it and spend about $2,000? You see, then I listened to his advice. His advice was buy a new vehicle for around $2,000. So then what's the next thing that I do? 
I say, well, let's get Nelson on the phone. So we get Nelson, who's the church mechanic. We get him on the phone, and we say, for $2,000, can we get a good vehicle if we find one on the Internet and you take a look at it? And he says, yes, you should be able to find a good vehicle. So the decision has now been made to buy a vehicle for around $2,000. So pray for favor from the Lord for a minivan. But here's how it works. David is going to find it. Nelson is going to check it out, and I'm going to pay it. Somebody say leadership. See, that makes me a leader because I am taking the guidance of those who are experts in those fields. That's how you have to be. When it comes to each one of your ministries, find people that are experts in those fields. Find people that have done it longer than you and begin to listen to them. Begin to take advice from them. Begin to find how they have become successful. Number four, generosity. Go to Proverbs 11.25. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You have to be generous in leadership. Never have an outreach where you have just enough pizza for all your guests. Never, never. Always have more than enough so people who have worked with you can take it home afterwards. Never be stingy with what you have when people are around you. When you're a leader, when the people who are working for you, as in this church, they're all volunteering to work for you. Be generous with them. That's why when you're out with me many times, we take you out to eat. We bring you to the house. When you come to the house, we serve you meals. We take care of you. Why? Because we're generous. We want to be known as generous people. When we go rock climbing and have hobbies together with my friends that are in the ministry, I always want to be generous for them. I want to help in every way that I can so they can know that I'm here to serve them and I appreciate what they do. Nobody likes somebody that's stingy. Nobody likes somebody's house that you can never spend the night at or hang out at, you know? Everybody likes the house you can spend the night at, you can hang out at. Everybody likes the place where they're always cooking something and you can get something to eat. That's why today people are attracted to generosity. They voted in Obama because they knew he would be generous with the money that the government doesn't have and take everything from China and give it, redistribute to us. But that's why they wanted him there because they knew he would be generous. People are friends with generous people. Think of right now the people you're closest to and think of all the things they've done for you. Think of all the favors that they've let you do. Think of all those things. And my friends, if you're not that type of a person, you need to become that person. Because I'm telling you, when I was in Bible college, and there's nothing wrong with marking off your food in the refrigerator, but the ones that were the most stingy with their food in the refrigerator were the most stingy with the youth in the youth group. You see, because you don't understand the way you treat your peers is the way you're going to treat somebody coming to your youth group. So if you don't know how to be generous with your friends, you won't be generous with that new visitor in the youth group. But if you're a generous person... You'll be generous with everybody. It doesn't mean you have to be wasteful, but you can be generous. Generous. Just be known as the generous person. Be known as the person in the dorms that always says, I have more than enough. You can have some of this if you need it. Always be the one willing to share. Because what does the Bible say? If you do that, God will bless you. The givers will always have more to give. A generous person will prosper. 
You can't outgive God. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Why is it people love to support ministries like Heidi Baker? Why is it people love to support them? Because they're so generous. You want to be a generous person in leadership. You do not want the kids of your youth group, the young adults in your ministry, the adults, to think of you as being stingy. Go on to the next one. Five, discipline. Proverbs 12.1, one of my favorite of all time. It spoke to me first before it ever spoke to others, by the way, but I love giving it to people, and I love having them read it out loud. So let's read Proverbs 12, verse 1, out loud. One, two, three. Loves knowledge, but he who hates. Amen. That one spoke to me before it ever spoke to others, but I am so glad the Bible put that there. Because stupid is as stupid does. People will act stupid, and the Bible says that if you listen to discipline and knowledge, you won't act stupid. But if you don't listen, you'll be acting stupid. And then what you'll do is hang around stupid people so you'll think you're okay. But really, all the difference is, is you're not hanging around smart people anymore. You're only hanging around stupid people. And that's why you guys think you're so smart. Because there's no, not a smart one of you. The blind leading the blind, and both of you all are going to fall into the ditch. So you want to be in a place, the Bible says, where you love discipline. And the discipline will then result in knowledge. That's where we get the, the word disciple. One that is disciplined in the ways of their master. And I'm telling you, this is what a leader has to be. A leader has to be disciplined. When I say to myself, I spent too much money on this, I cannot spend that much anymore, I have to discipline myself. Because then I'll waste everything that the church has given me. When we have bought things at this church and I look around and I see all the different doodles that we have, we get into those the negotiations, and we negotiate to the bottom dollar, to the penny, but we're not cheap. And the reason why we do that is because I have to be disciplined in spending. I don't want to be wasteful in what I do. You have to be disciplined in your prayer life. You have to be disciplined in your study of the Word of God. Leaders are learners. Write that down. Leaders are learners. You're always going to be learning. You're never going to come to a place where you're going to say, I know it all. On any given day, I'm involved in some type of Internet debate or some dialogue with somebody that doesn't believe the way I do. I was just defriended last week from Eddie Birdo's Muslim sister and from a kooky charismatic that believed in universal salvation that I met on somebody else's side. So that's a good week for me. I was defriended by two people. So I got 1,200 more to go. Amen? That's, that's an average week for me, and I'm always learning, and I'm always giving that knowledge out. Every week I'm involved in listening to my favorite podcast, and it's all about leadership. It's all about learning. My favorite podcasts are Dr. Michael Brown, and I've shared that with you in the line of fire, listening to a doctor, Ph.D., my other ones are answers in Genesis. I was never a scientific person, but ever since I've become a Christian, I loved hearing scientists talk about how great our God is. Why? Because I fear God, and I understand how great and big he is, and I love people who study him. So I'm always listening to answers in Genesis. 
And there's always good debates that are coming my way. One right now is Bart Ehrman, who wrote all those books, Disbelieving in God, debating Michael Brown this Thursday live on a webcast. And the debate is on the suffering in the world and how there cannot be a God. That's what Bart Ehrman says, if there's suffering. So the biggest argument that atheists say, you know, that suffering disproves God, Dr. Michael Brown's going to debate him. And I'm always reading books. And just, you know, in seminary, you have to read a book a week. That's basically what I have to do. I have to read a book a week. And that's what a learner does. That's what a leader does. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Are you always going to be perfect at this? No. But in your heart, you have to desire it. You have to desire discipline. But whoever hates correction is stupid. So if you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to become a better person, if you're not willing to listen to leaders in your life, if you're not willing to accept that you can be wrong, the Bible calls you stupid. And you don't want to be a stupid leader. You want to be a leader that grows in knowledge. Amen? You want to be somebody that just loves knowledge, somebody that's always coming up with something new. You know, that's why if you always talk to great leaders, they're always just telling you something new. If you hang around with me, I'm always going to tell you something you didn't know before. Why? Because I'm always learning. That's the way the youth and the youth group and young adult ministries need to be with you. They always need to be learning from you and receiving correction from you because you love wisdom and discipline in your life, and they want to emulate that. Let's go to your words. Number six, Proverbs 12:14. Proverbs 12:14. For the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Nancy will tell you this was one of the favorite scriptures we had in the first years of the church. One that I memorized, that the fruit of my lips is filled with good things, and it will reward me as surely as the work of my hands reward me. So think about the words you speak every day. Now somebody has, you know, has said, are you a word of faith, pastor? Well, yes, of course. I'm not a word of doubt, pastor. Amen? If you asked, are you into the health and wealth gospel? Yes. Because I'm not into the sick and broke gospel. Amen? I'm into what God is into. Now, if that means I believe I have to have a gold-plated doghouse with air conditioning... For my $20,000 little puppy, you know, I don't believe I need gold-plated faucets and things, but I believe we should speak words of faith. You don't want to be somebody that's a nervous Nelly. You don't always want to be complaining. You don't always want to be negative. Leaders have to speak words of faith. Your words that you speak will produce for you a result more than your own hands can build for you. So you could say to yourself right now, I want to build a church. And you could spend hours and days and weeks literally putting up these bricks and mortars. But that will not bring people here. But you speaking over this city, I loose them in Jesus' name. I am a pastor of 100,000 in Jesus' name with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. And if you teach people in your congregation to say it with you, amen, to confess the vision to speak words of life, you will produce more with your faith-filled words than you did with your own hands. These buildings and things of the natural do not produce the things of God. It's the faith in God that produces the things of God. God didn't need a world to create a world. All he needed was his power. Think about that. 
God did not need a world to create a world. He didn't need water to create an ocean. He created an ocean water out of nothing because he has the power. And when we have faith in that awesome God, we are operating in that same power. So what type of words are you speaking as a leader? No one will push the the number one thing that will push me away from you if you are a negative person. Negative people drive me away from them. I do not like being around negative people. I do not like hearing people talk negative. Jesus never talked negative, and he faced the cross. You didn't see him walking around going, woe is me, I'm going to have to get crucified today. He, the Bible says he despised the shame. Research that one day and see what that phrase means. He despised the shame. What it means to say, I despise the very thing that's trying to shame me. I will not let this thing get me down. You have to guard your words as a leader when you speak over other people. You may see somebody in your church that causes a lot of trouble, and you may want to call them a troublemaker. And by calling them a troublemaker and by speaking negative over them, all you're doing is locking them into that behavioral pattern. But if you begin to say things that are not as though they were as Jesus talks, you speak with the authority of Jesus, you can say, I see a leader in you. I see a world changer in you. I see a father in you. I see a mother in you. Of course, we see people's attitudes and we rebuke attitudes. We're not just mindlessly just saying everything is good, everybody's beautiful. We do correct, but we do it with the hope of redemption, knowing that there's something better for these people, knowing that there's something better for them. And so I want to be known as someone who speaks words of faith. I want to be able to hear somebody else's dream as a leader and be able to confirm that dream and speak that dream over their life. That's why every single one of you here, I've never told you you can't. I've never said to Jared he can't do what's in his heart. Ellie, you can't. Matter of fact, if every one of you would look at why you are where you are, it's because someone like me was pushing you to get there because I knew that you could do it. That's how you have to be with the people in your ministry. You can't let their temporary situations set their destinies. You have to believe they have a destiny that's bigger than their temporary situation. And not only just in your ministry, but in your family. Sometimes you'll look at your finances and there'll be no money there. Instead of saying I'm broke, busted, and disgusted, say I'm blessed. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. All my bills are paid. I am prosperous in Jesus' name. And the wealth of the wicked is stored up for me. Amen. I receive, therefore I believe, therefore I receive. Speak words of life. Amen. Number seven, patience, which Nancy will tell you is probably my greatest desire in life right now is to learn patience. Two children that can cry at the drop of a hat, a wife that's still recovering from being pregnant, and we don't know where their hormonal stage of my wife is at right now. We're trying to figure her her chemical system out. At the drop of a hat, we can be into arguments. And men, you're starting to learn that right now about how women act, aren't you? Aren't you, Ellie? Aren't you learning you're learning, Chris. You're going to figure it out how women, you know, there's certain, certain times of the month, I'll just say it like that, where everything just goes wrong. And nothing you do can figure it out. And then when a woman gets pregnant, everything is thrown out just out of whack, man. The whole entire universe is falling apart until that little thing gets back in order. And then that woman's body gets back in order. Amen? And it takes about six weeks for it to happen. So we're about five weeks away. Uh, five weeks since only one week away. So just pray for me. Amen? And then when you have two children, that is a whole nother level. 
of stress. You hear one cry, and then you go deal with that, and then the other one starts crying. This is going to happen to everyone that has children. But what do we need to have? Somebody say patience. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. If you as a leader are always offended, you're going to become impatient with people. And you will not be able to deal with their problems. The thing that you have to do is separate them from their problems. They have problems. They have issues. They have failed. They are mean. They are all these things. But they are yet still children of God. And if they're not yet a child of God, they're still valuable to God. So you have to separate people's problems from who they are. You have to see someone outside of just they're a problem. So take, for example, right now a young man. Oh, well, he's my age. We used to do drugs and party together back in my hometown. Uh, he called me back up on the phone, saw me on Facebook. He wants to commit suicide. His whole life is falling apart. Uh, last Monday uh, back there in the office, I led him to the Lord with my father. And now my dad is discipling him. Well, he's still going out and getting drunk and having these pity-patty parties. And I was just talking to my dad, and he's new at dealing with people like that, and I'm just giving him some advice. Well, the greatest advice you can have is just be patient and overlook their offenses. Overlook them when they call you up drunk in the middle of the night. Now they want to talk when they weren't willing to talk during the day when you were trying to get a hold of them. Overlook their offense that when you keep teaching them how to overcome this problem, like go to a drug and alcohol rehab, and they don't listen to you, but yet they want to keep coming to you, you need to overlook that stupidity. You need to overlook the offense. Because the Bible says that it is wisdom. A man's wisdom gives him patience. So what is it that gives man impatience? His foolishness. So what is it that makes us get angry quick? It's our foolishness. What is it that allows us to lose our temper quickly with people in the dorms? What is it allows us that to get, you know, into arguments, into fights? It is our lack of wisdom. Because if we can see the situation from God's point of view, we will not fight. We will not argue. We will not disrespect each other and be offended by each other. As a leader, you may think to yourself, people will never do that to me because I'll always love them as lost people. That is what you're saying now because you have not dealt with enough of them yet. But once you deal with enough lost people, that little uh, romantic theology, that little facade you have with them will go away. Eventually, they will frustrate you. They will get on your nerves. They will call you at times that you don't want them to call you. Their problems will interfere with your life. You'll be depending on them to do things for you, and they won't get it done. And you will be offended by them. You have to allow patience to come into your life by the wisdom of God. And what is the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God is saying they don't know any better. They don't know. And that you're here for a purpose, and your purpose will be fulfilled whether they do it or not. Every time Nancy and I have looked around and said, oh, you know, 
we have to have this person. God shows us and tells us, no, you don't have to have this person. I can do it through another person. And even as you look at yourselves right here in the ministry school, it's not like you guys were all the most outstanding of the bunch that came around at your time. There was always different people around at your time that might have been able to sing better, play better, older than you, more mature than you. But why are they not here today? Because they did not stick it through. They, they got offended over something, and they left, and they got offended. And then you look at just God raising up. That's why I look at myself. Look at me. I mean, I'm definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed and all of this, but all that I have, God has given me. Anything good you see in me is just because I've stuck with this. I've been patient, and as many times as i failed at patience, I ask God for more, and I don't allow myself to even be offended with God. So you have to have patience. Let's go to number eight, correction. Proverbs 9, 7 through 9. Discipline is one thing, to love discipline, and then correction that will come from that. But just correction itself, and, and Proverbs 9, verse 7, Proverbs 9, verse 7 through 9 says it so perfectly. Listen to this. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Now you may ask yourself, how do I know who I'm talking to? Watch the way they react. Watch the way they react to what you're sharing with them, and you will know whether or not you're talking to a mocker or to a wise man. So I don't know how people are when they first come to church. I don't know them. They're obviously not mocking in the service. Hey, buddy, get off the stage. So when somebody begins to get into discipleship and you give them correction, if they begin to hate me, if they begin to insult me, if they begin to abuse me, who do I now know that they are? They're a mocker. That's who they are. But if they begin to love me, if they begin to receive me, if they receive what I'm saying, if they listen to it, then they're a wise person. So you as a leader need to find the right people to give correction to. You have to be disciplined. You have to receive correction. Now you need to be able to give it as a leader. And you don't want to throw your pearls to the swine. That's exactly the context that it's talking about. If you keep giving your advice and people are not taking it, stop giving your advice to those people. Wait for them to pursue you. <coughs> Excuse me. I used to believe that it was my job to pursue people. I still fall in the trap of doing this. Somebody comes to the church. You love them. You see a lot of potential in them. You ask them some questions. They seem a little off, but yet you still want to help them. And then you start trying to teach them. And what do they do? They mock. And then sometimes in my heart I say, no, I'm going to give them another chance. You know what? The more I've been in ministry, the less chances I'm giving. Not to say I'm not going to give them a chance to come and be forgiven. I'm just saying I'm not going to waste my time there anymore. Take, for example, this person on the Internet. I see that he had mentioned something about how, you know, no one's really going to hell. And I saw this on my friend's website. So I add him as a friend. I just ask him a question. Do you believe in universal salvation? And then he kind of gave me a mocking response. The moment he gave me that mocking response, what should I have done according to the Scripture? I should have just left him alone. I should have just left him alone and said, 
This guy has no ear to hear, no eyes to see. He's a fool. He's just a fool. He doesn't want to listen. He's mocking me already. But what do I do? I go and pursue him further. I begin to get into this email debate until about 2 in the morning. And at the end of it, what has he done? Just totally without any regard, without any respect. He's abused me, he's mocked me, and he's insulted me. That's what he did. He insulted, oh, you're some kind of past. All this baloney I had to endure. Why? Because I didn't follow the proverb. The proverb said, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. So what did I think was going to come from him once he mocked me? Oh, now I'm going to see some halo come over his head and he's going to now change? Unless he becomes humble in what he is reciprocating back to me, he is going to remain a mocker. So do not, as a leader, waste your time with mockers and with those who are wicked and do not want to listen. Find those who do want to listen. As a leader, you need to know where to invest your time the most. So take, for example, and this always convicts me, and I'm sure you will find this out if you haven't already. So after this three-hour discussion with this mocker, guess what sets into my mind? I could have talked to Ellie for three hours. I could have talked to Jared for three hours. Every one of these young men would love to spend time with me, learn what I have to teach. They, I mean, how would you like that if I just called you up, Ellie, and said, hey, man, I just want to talk to you for a little bit? Wouldn't that be wonderful? would be like, hey, let's talk. I'd be like, Brother Anthony, call me. Hey, can I just talk to you a little bit? Three hours. But I wasted my time, my precious time on this fool. My friends, don't do that in ministry. And don't be discouraged when you're around people who are fools. Love a fool and pity the fool like Mr. T. Amen? Just say, I pity the fool. Come on, say it again. Say, I pity the fool. When you run into fools, just tell them, look, man, you can... You know, once I saw that little mockery from him, I should have just wrote to him, and I should have just said, look, I love you. I don't think you have the right tone. Write me back when you want to learn something. And then, of course, he would have wrote something crazy back to that. And my biggest thing is letting that go. Because once I see that little crazy thing, because he did end up saying something crazy, I wrote him a 10-point thing with 10 scriptures backing up how he was a fool, and I put down all these proverbs. But guess what he then did? He then mocked every one of those things that I gave him. I write him this humongous thing, covers like on Facebook, from the top of this thing all the way down to the bottom. And then he writes me like these three sentence mockery, like blah, 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 blah. And I just think I just wasted an hour writing out this whole thing for this fool. You get my point? You're not going to see people like that change until they want to change. Let's go to the next one. Blessing. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Are you enjoying this study of Proverbs today? These are just leadership tools that will help you in ministry. Blessing. You want to be blessed. Amen. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 4. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. So what is God asking us to be before he blesses us? He's asking us to be humble. And he's asking us to fear him. And he says it will bring us wealth. It will bring us honor and life. Everybody loves a humble person. Everybody loves a humble person. I was just watching The Apprentice yesterday, and they were with Scottie Pippen. And what did they say? Scottie Pippen was so humble. Scottie Pippen was, you look at your eyes light up, Adam's eyes. You'd love to have been there. You, you think about these great superstars, they're humble. The ones that are humble, I should say, people like. 
Nobody likes a superstar that's a jerk, that spits on them, that, you know, treats them, you know, insults them that way, spits on them in that way. No one wants to be treated like dirt. Everybody loves the humble. We love humble people. How many love Dr. Ophelia? He's just a humble man. You just listen to him talk, that little whistle. You just listen to that, and he's just humble. You just love humble people. You get around like Pastor Logan, he's just humble. You just, you just want to wrap him in your arms and just love him and squeeze him because he's humble. You know, we can have humility and still be strong. And as leaders, it's actually our key to being blessed. And I look at my, uh, my life of humility. Of course, I've always dealt with pride like anyone else. But just in uh, retrospect, the things that have brought me to the places that I am today has always come through humility. I said to the Lord, I never want to start a church from scratch again. God said, but I want you to. And so by doing that, we now have a church, like we saw this uh, Sunday, packed to the gills, a church that I never would have had before if I wouldn't have been humble. If I would have tried to take another person's church, it wouldn't have worked. This vision had to come from scratch, and by humility it came. How about going back to school? That takes humility. Right now, guess what class I am in in seminary? Evangelism class. Evangelism class. And and I'm being blessed because I want to have a humble heart. I do rebuke every now and then the little blogs because I got to do my little things. And I'm like like you guys, you know, when you see somebody on your discussion board you disagree with, you kind of go at them a little bit. I go at some of these guys in the discussion board when they come against street preaching and different things. But, you know, I do it in respect. What about marriage? Marriage takes humility. Your friendships take humility. When you serve people in ministry, you have to be humble. But where does that humility lead? Is it just to be a doormat? The Bible says it leads to wealth. It leads to honor. It leads to life. Don't build your ministry on pride. Don't build your ministry on that. Build your ministry on humility. Amen? Now go to Proverbs 17, verse 9. Forgiveness. Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You have to learn to forgive people in ministry. Many times people will offend you, and we talked about the offense and you looking over it, but you have to cover it with love. Love covers the sin. How can we love the sheep that have backslidden and then come back, then go out and backslide again? And then come back again. How can we love those little sheeps? Because love covers the sin. Because I've been baptized myself three times. Amen? How can you do that? You're going to love them. Like the young man that we have in our youth group. I won't name his name, you know, but the young man that we have in our youth group. He used to live in the dorms. You have to love him. You have to forgive even the things that he has said to us. You have to forgive him. And now he's coming back to the church because God is dealing with his heart. So you can't always judge him for who he was. You have to let him be now who God is dealing with him as. Ministry will hurt you at times. Ministry will let you down. But if you just forgive and you love people, you will have close friends. But look at what it says. If you keep repeating the matter, you're going to separate close friends. You don't want to be known... As a Sunday afternoon gossip, you don't want to be the one that's known that after Sunday church, you go out with your little clique of friends and you badmouth everybody else. That's why whenever somebody's name comes up, because we do believe in 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18, discipline and and, uh, uh, 
excommunication if people live in continual sin in our church. That's why whenever somebody brings up those people to us, we always make sure when I'm involved that whenever we mention their names, we say we're praying for them and the discipline is for their redemption. The discipline is for them to come back. Why? So that means if any time they come back, they never feel like everybody was out there talking about them. What we were doing was warning people about their behavior What we were doing was telling other sheep, don't follow them. But we were saying this because we knew they were in trouble and they were going to get punished by God if they didn't change. And that to me is a job of a shepherd. But I would never do that to separate close friends. I would never do that to have my side right. So often you're going to be in a position where people are going to go around your back and talk about you. And you're going to want to set it right. You're going to want to set those things right. You're not going to get anywhere with that. I'll give you a perfect example. Brandon Holt, you know, the, the brother that comes to our church and does music, had a situation in his church where he had to Matthew 18 somebody. He put it on Facebook. He put their name, and he said, everybody watch out for this person because they are bad-mouthing us and saying lewd things about us on Facebook. So I go to this place, and I begin to, to see what's going on in this article, I mean this um, post he put up there. And there's a non-Christian, and they're getting upset with Brandon on there because they're saying, how could you be a Christian and do this? I think Jesus would just love them. And so Brandon's brother kind of like rebukes this non-Christian. And then I come on there, and I put all the scriptures, and I tell the non-Christian, this is what the church is always commanded to do, so that the people like you will fear God because we're not here to play around. We're not here to be hypocrites. <clears throat> and so I respected Brandon for that. But then I noticed a tendency about myself and others. He had put this woman's name there. But I didn't know this woman. What did my curiosity cause me to do? I researched who that woman was. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I find on Facebook this woman and the gross things that she was doing. She was basically making lesbian statements and, and wrong statements about leadership. <clears throat> so, excuse me, I get back to the Facebook page to check up on how this is going during the day. This is like now my entertainment, okay? I'm glad I'm not the only one just kind of watching how the fireworks are going off. And then I see that another woman says, hey, Brandon, I just went to her site, and I didn't know who she was, and I'm really shocked that she's saying those things. And then a few hours later, the post was deleted uh, by Brandon. And I got to this understanding of why I think he did it, and I'll tell you how this, I felt, maybe was possibly done the wrong way with the right intention. Because by sharing it with everybody, what did it do? It put it on everybody's mind. So I'm beginning to feel that you only correct within the church among people who understand what the correction is for. So, for example, with us, it will be with elders and deacons and possibly the 201 class. But even in the 201 class, we have seen that there's immature believers that are there. And so for me, I would be satisfied from this point forward just doing it with the elders and deacons because when you do it another way, it's like now you're separating close friends because now people feel like who never knew about it might have to take sides. Instead of just disciplining them, telling this congregation to leaders, hey, we're not going to associate with them, and then just leaving it be. Because then now everybody wants to know, what did they do? Well, I might agree with that myself. And then all of a sudden, they're thinking about the conflict, and they're getting involved. I think that's what the Bible is saying. We, okay, where's so-and-so's family? Well, the elders and deacons, we dealt with them. They're not coming here anymore. 
What's the situation? Well, we're just not going to go into the details. Pray for them. The love covers their sin. I'm just thinking that that's going to be a better philosophy for us even at Metro Praise. The reason is, is because when you start announcing it, the more people hear about it, the more messy it gets. Because you're expecting the youth in the youth group to understand, but they don't understand. It just becomes like another gossip fest at their lunch table. So my advice to you as I'm learning this is that as you rebuke, do it the best way fitting for people in your church. Do it the best way fitting that will guard the, the congregation. But do it with forgiveness. Do it with the hope of redemption that people are going to be able to come back and say that they're sorry and that in your heart you have forgiven them. Amen? That doesn't mean that I don't believe in Matthew 18, this fellowship of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What I'm just saying it is, uh, why announce that to everybody, including visitors, who they have no clue of what's going on, and they don't understand what the leaders do. And if those people, now watch, have influence and they begin to affect others, then we'll warn them. We'll say, hey, stay away from that person. And at least we get to see who's now attracted to that instead of putting it into everybody's mind. Because when you put it into everybody's mind, everybody's just dealing with it. Like, man, I don't know how to deal with this. I've never seen anybody kicked out of a church. But then if you just leave it alone, you let people decide where they want to be, 90% of the people are just going to go with the flow. They're not going to really worry about that other person. They're just going to go with the flow. Now, if there's 10% of the people who are dealing with that, then you just need to find them and say, hey, let's deal with this. Hey, why, why are you taking their side? Why are you listening to them? They're telling you lies. That's just something that I've realized over the years of disciplining because when you do it, you're separating close friends. And I've, I haven't blamed myself over this, but I've thought, hey, you know what? If I probably wouldn't have made a spectacle out of so-and-so, maybe their friends wouldn't have left because the only reason why that had to happen was because we were trying to separate them in their eyes and they never understood the discipline. They didn't understand the discipline. Because they would have understood we were not trying to separate friends. What we were trying to do was discipline people who were acting ungodly. You all get it? Just leadership things. Number one, work hard. Put your hands to the plow and work hard. Preach, pray, and serve away all your days. Write that little slogan down. Preach, pray, and serve away all your live long days. Preach, pray, and serve away all your live long days. Work hard in the ministry. Number two, be a person of integrity. Who you are when no one is looking. Number three, guidance. Find people to take advice from. Leaders in this ministry, leaders uh, in other ministries doing what you're doing, your peers, and even those that are working for you, and hearing what they're saying about certain things, I don't mean everything needs to come up for a vote. I didn't say the greatest Easter service of your life. You know, God, speak that to me a few weeks ago about an event we were doing on Easter and then go around and ask all the elders, should we do it? You know, God told me to do it. That's the right I have to do things. But, you know, when I had the plan, it was like, what do you all think? Let's take advice. Generosity. Be generous in everything you do. You may not have a lot right now to be generous with. But just be generous with what you have. Don't be upset if somebody sleeps on your bed and sits on your bed when they talk to you. Let, you know, make them feel comfortable when they're in your room. You know, you can be generous with that. Be generous with transportation. Amen. Offer gas money to those of you that are getting rides. Say, hey, man, if I, you know, if I have some gas money, can I give it to you? And then those of you who are giving the rides don't expect any gas money. 
So both of you be generous. One is saying, hey, I'm just doing this because I'm not expecting anything back. I can help you out. And then the other one should be saying, hey, I want to help you out. And then you're like, no, I'm fine. No, but really, I want to give it to you. No, I'm fine. Then you all can argue about who's more generous, okay? It's like stalemate. We're both generous. I want to give it, but you won't let me because you're generous, and we'll just call it a day. Okay? So you can work it out like that. Discipline. You yourself want to be disciplined. You yourself want to be pious. That's a word that I learned just a couple weeks ago. Pious is to be disciplined in spirituality. You want to be a pious person. Words. You want to watch the words you speak. Nothing will crush your dream faster than negative words. You go around speaking negatively. I'm telling you, you ever seen that uh, Charlie Brown character, Dust? He has the dust all over him. Pigpen. And he just walks around with that cloud of dust everywhere. That's how negative people are like. They just walk around with this cloud of dust everywhere they go. Nobody wants to be around that. You don't even want to be around that. Okay? Why are you asking others to be? Be positive. Be in the sunshine. Amen? Find something good every day to talk about. Every day is a good day with Jesus. So I walk out the door, and it doesn't matter if it's storming, hail, coming down. It's a good day because it's a good day with Jesus. We're going to have some fun today. Okay? Have good words. Seven, be patient. Be patient in your affliction. Be patient with others. Be patient, uh, patient with people's offenses. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with God. Number eight, correction. Learn how to correct people. Learn how to do it with redemption. You want to see them change. You want to see them learn. Speak to people who have ears to hear. And seriously, it may only start with one. I remember doing Wind Warriors Dream, Adam, in the inner city, and we had tons of people showing up to our outreaches, but we only had one that would stop cursing and sit down and listen to us for a Bible study. So you start with one. You start with somebody that's just going to stop talking and disrupting the service and actually listen to what you're going to tell them. Find somebody like that in your life and pour into them. Blessings. Be humble so that you can receive blessings. God says that humility comes before honor. Walk this life humble. If you ever find yourself too big to be a servant, then you have gotten small in God's eyes. You have got it backwards. God's kingdom, it comes to the servants. Blessings come to those who are humble. And number 10, forgive people. Live in forgiveness. Now, I wish I had time just to share my other 30 favorite Proverbs just a few quickly that I wanted to give you if I had a little bit of extra time, and I do. Just a few quickly I wanted to give you here. Uh, verse 14, uh, chapter 17, verse 14, just write these down. These are just quick. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so, so drop the matter before a dispute uh, breaks out. One of my favorites there is just stop arguing before a fight breaks out when you realize it's not getting anywhere. That's with your friends. So learn how not to fight over every little thing. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 3 says the same thing. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So don't be the one that's always wanting to fight and argue. Sometimes just say, hey, man, it's not worth it. I'm fine. Another one that's uh, one of my favorites is 20, verse 25. It is a trap for a man to dedicate to something rashly and only later to reconsider his vows. Be a person who gives your word. Do not say, I'm going to be there and not do that. I have always desire to keep my word in that, and especially now with the foreign missions, when we say, boom, that's what you're getting, that is what you're getting. 
For example, just to give you an example, when we were doing this mission, see, I thought I was going to be in Pakistan and India, so I loaded up all of our missions dollars together into the pledge. To the pledge, so there was like $300 in that account, and I just took it out of the emissions account and put it into the pledge. Well, when we didn't go this month, guess what? We still had to send India $150. We still had to send Mexico $150. Guess who did that? That came out of the church's general fund. You get what I'm saying? And so it's like I had to keep my word. I am not backing down, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, be duplicit with them. It's like, hey, you, you get the shekels. You, you get those things. You've got to keep your word. God forbid if I would ever say to them, I cannot keep my word and give you those shekels this week, amen, or this month. Uh, another one that's uh, just one of my favorites is um, chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. You want people, when they hear your name, to know that you are a person of integrity. So your name, your name should say something to people. Your name. When somebody says, Ellie has said such and such, people say, wow, man, Ellie's going to do that because he has a good name. Another one of my favorites, which most people have no idea uh, to what it means, but it's always been, one of my favorites, let's see if I can just find it quickly here. I can almost quote it to you. Okay, Lord, help me find it. You know, I'm looking for the highlighted ones right now. Oh, it's about a dishonest scale, and I'll explain to you why it speaks to me so much. The Lord hates dishonest scales. If you want to find that for me real quick. Dishonest scales. Thank you, sir. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delights. You know why I love this one? It's because people have always judged me inaccurately. And when I read this, it really shows my heart. It really shows the Lord's heart. He hates it. He hates it. Let me give you a perfect example. I think it's going to bless some of you guys right now. You're going to totally get it. Somebody sees a big ministry with 500 people. Maybe they're my age. Maybe they've been in ministry as long as I have. And then they see us with 100 people, and then they say, Joe, you don't know as much. You're not as good. You're all this compared to this guy. God hates that because the scale is dishonest. You're judging me according to a dishonest weight. God never said for you to judge another man of God based on how many people he had show up on Sunday morning. He did not say judge somebody's ministry based on how much money they had in their bank account. He never told us to judge that way. What did he say to judge men of God by? By their words and by their fruit. That's what he said judge men of God by. And so when I have been judged, because you know what people have said to me? Oh, street ministry, that's not that effective. You know, God hates that. You don't know what's effective in our ministry. You don't know how well it's worked. You don't know how much percentage of the people who have actually gotten saved have stuck with our church. You have no idea what you're talking about because in your mind you are judging it by something else. And God has specifically showed that proverb to me so many times when people want to judge and they do it falsely and they set up a scale that they say, well, this is a successful ministry when you have a lot of big friends in the ministry a lot of money and a lot of people and if you don't have that you're not respectable i always come back to that and god spoke it to me i mean probably most of you wouldn't even see that saying that in that text but god said that to me because that's exactly what people do they're putting false scales and weights that's one of my favorite ones right there you can see i get excited about it 
Another one of my favorites is uh, Proverbs uh, 10.22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. When God blesses you, there's no trouble added to that, that blessing. Everything that I've seen God do and bless has come the easiest. It's come after tons of hard work, but it's just, boop, there it is. Like S-U-M, just, boop, just came right to the church. You get what I'm saying? Now, for you, it's tons of hard work, and for me, doing all these classes, tons of hard work. But just the idea how it came into the church, how it all fit together, how we recruited, it was like, boop, no trouble was added to it. Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, don't be in any trouble. Amen. No trouble added to it. One of my favorite when it comes to dating uh, or finding a good wife, 1122. All the women and men should memorize this. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So when you see J-Lo and all these women, men, that you think they're attractive, what you just need to picture when you see them is a pig with a gold earring in their nose. Seriously, that's what you need to think of when you see Lady Gaga, when you see uh, Katy Perry, any of these women, men that may seem attractive in Hollywood, Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Lopez, like I said, uh, Ashante, all these women, you need to look at them as a pig with an earring in their nose. That's exactly what it says. One Another one of my favorites, 1110. I, for some reason, 11 has a bunch of good ends. 1110, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. So if we speak blessings over this city, we speak blessings over our nation, we will see God do great things. And think about how that mouth destroys our nation. The first thing that comes to my mind is like rap and music and all that, how that destroys the inner city. But then the next thing, imagine what all the politicians do behind closed doors, like Governor Gavoyevich, what's his name? Blagojevich, 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 Okay, so Blagojevich. Wow, what Blagojevich does, that's how that name makes me feel. You ever get a feeling from a name? It's like Blagojevich. Okay, so Blagojevich, Blagojevich. He spoke and he got himself in a lot of trouble and he brings down the city. Amen. Let me just give you a few more in closing here. How about this one right here? Proverbs 13:22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. See, that's what we were talking about, being blessed. God says even the wealth of the wicked go to the righteous, and then we leave an inheritance to our children's children. Uh, some ones that are a little bit different that have really helped me out in times of trouble. Uh, Proverbs 12:25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. So you want to make sure you uh, cheer people up with a kind word. Hey, you're doing good. You're awesome. We love you. You can make it. High five. Encouraging each other. One of the uh, ones that was kind of like a depressing one for me, but the Lord really <laughs> shared, you know, shared to me how I could see it from a good way. But really, man, it just look at this right here. Uh, Proverbs chapter, is it chapter 11? No, it's not chapter 11. Yeah, I thought it was there. I'll quote for you guys in just a second. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. 13.12. Listen to this one. This one used to get me depressed when I would read it. 13.12. Hope, I even had to write another another 
scripture to just so when I read it, I feel better about myself. Um, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And uh, Proverbs 13, 12, and the reason why it just kind of makes me sad is because I know what it's like to be heart sick because you're hoping for something that hasn't yet come. And you're just like, what do you do when you're hoping and it doesn't come? And you feel so sick on the inside. It's like, you know, Bertsky, man, he wanted to see his sisters, Betsy and Lupe, get saved at the greatest Easter service of their life, you know. And he was weeping for them, you know, the week before. And then you just, you, you, you see them just spew out the lies of Satan, and they don't want it. And, and you look at Berto, and his heart is just broken. You can just see he's sick on the inside. So I actually wrote another Proverbs there to encourage me, which is Proverbs eleven twenty two which is the one you go to, not 11.22. Did I have a, I have 11.22, but it's not that one. It's a 23. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. So how I encourage myself and I encourage others is I say, even though right now you feel heart sick, you just feel sick in your heart, it will turn for good. It will turn for good, even as I've seen with my sister. She died. She died as an alcoholic. She died. But still, my hope turned for good and will turn for good ultimately. So I have not wasted my hope on the Lord for lives to change, especially in my family. Amen.